I don't know about you, but for me last night was exceptional. It was extraordinary. It, it might have been a little bit of like the disciples said to Jesus, oh, now we understand. You used to speak in parables, but now we're beginning to understand. And, you know, like who changed? <laughs> I just felt like we moved into a much higher level of understanding and revelation. We, we've been, been gathering as kingdom come for a, a few occasions now, but I just felt like the Lord raised us to a whole new level last night. You feel the same? Yeah. So, here's my expectation. On the last and the greatest day of the feast, He saves the best wine for last. Let's draw on the Lord. Let's receive all that he has for us today, even as we honor Papa Bill. Would you welcome Bill Johnson? Conclusion, South Africa is addicting. It's addicting, yes. I'm hoping I don't have withdrawals when I go home. Yeah. Yes, yes, stay. Hey, honey, uh, <laughs> guess what? <laughs> How many of you, you live rather health conscious in how you eat and exercise? How many of you don't, but you think you should? <laughs> how many of you don't, and you just don't care? Yeah, all right, all right. Well, for those, <clears throat> for those of you who watch what you eat, I uh, have discovered the final word on nutrition and health, and this, this would be a great help to you. You'll, you'll thank me later. Number one, there's five points. Number one, the Japanese eat very little fat and suffer fewer heart attacks than the English. Number two, the Mexicans eat a lot of fat and suffer fewer heart attacks than the English. <laughs> Number three, the Chinese drink very little red wine and suffer fewer heart attacks than the English. Number four, the Italians drink a lot of red wine and suffer fewer heart attacks than the English. <laughs> Number five, the Germans drink a lot of beer, eat a lot of sausages and fats, and suffer fewer heart attacks than the English. <laughs> Conclusion, eat and drink what you like. Speaking English is apparently what kills you. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, several other books that I mentioned for you uh, this morning. 
This one is uh, called Hosting the Presence. Um, the Holy Spirit lives in every believer, but he doesn't rest upon every believer. The ambition of life should be to be the person that he rests upon. It says of Jesus, when he was baptized in water, he came up out of the water and the Holy Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove and remained. Let me put it this way. He is in me for my sake, but he comes upon me for yours. Learning to host presence is what makes the shadow heal. It's what makes the clothing release anointing when it's touched. Your shadow will always release whatever overshadows you. <clears throat> so this is an invitation to learn that one. Uh, this one for me is a very fun book. It's called Experience the Impossible. It's 79 short chapters, so even men like to read this one. <laughs> I actually have this on audio, <clears throat> and it's somebody else reading it. It's not my voice. So sometimes I put it on in the morning, and, and I listen to it, and I think, man, I agree with most everything this, this guy says. <clears throat> I find it very encouraging, so. <laughs> Man, I need to get to know this guy. <laughs> this is a daily invitation devotional on friendship with God. Uh, singing a song, I am a friend of God, doesn't make you a friend of God. <laughs> I'll just leave that right there. And then uh, finally, uh, the last uh, flash drive that I'll mention, uh, or the last thing I'll mention today is this flash drive, it's on healing. There's, I think, 17 messages, something like that. Um, <clears throat> I have two series that contain the same two messages, this one and I forget what the other one is. But it may be that, well, two most difficult messages I've ever spoken, taught, and also the two that had the greatest impact. And it's the week before my dad died and the week after he died. It's called Enduring Faith. How do you maintain hope? How do you maintain the call to pursue uh, seeing God glorified through miracle signs and wonders when you've just experienced loss? What do you do? And, uh, and so that's, uh, that's on here as well as... Uh, Healings are neglected birthright and a whole bunch of other stuff on the subject of healing. So, oh goodness, oh I know. Anybody born on Christmas Day, December 25, not the 24th, not the 26th. Jesus. 20, Jesus. Yes, yes. All right. Hi there. Um, we've got a whole bunch of you. Awesome. Okay. All 25th, huh? Wow. See, these guys have to share their birthday with the rest of the planet celebrating Christmas. So I have a, a burden for you, you guys. So take, take, you want that? All right. 
just take. And Mike, Michael, no, you get one. Yeah, you don't, you don't take them for your friends. All right, now the rest of you, go with Michael. He will take you back and you, you uh, get to pick something. All right, bless you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. You guys are cheering for Michael? Yes. Michael's amazing. All right. Are you guys ready? Ready to get going here? 10 o'clock. What time does one end? What, what time is our, our break? I, f I forgot to ask. Good. Okay. Great. <clears throat> We owe God answers to prayer. Imagine, imagine standing next to a stream and that stream flows from the throne of God and it is the continuous revelation of the heart of his will. Um, am I disappearing? Did I disappear? Did you not see me for a minute? Okay. This will of God is a continual flowing stream that we can dip into at any time. What happens is we, we lack breakthrough in an area and we blame it on God's sovereignty, which means I don't have to take any responsibility for it. I can just sweep it under the rug and say, well, it's just God works in mysterious ways when he in fact has promised to do certain things. He's invited us into this relational journey where one of the ways he is most glorified is actually through answers to prayer. So what happens is so much of today's theology is created around what didn't happen. The Pool of Bethesda is a great story in the Gospel of John. <clears throat> Historians tell us there could be as many as 900 to 1,000 people gathered around this pool if you don't know the story, an angel would come and stir the waters. The first person into the water would be healed. <clears throat> Jesus came to a man who had been there many, many years and healed him. <clears throat> if that were to happen today, pastors, theologians, Bible professors, newspaper writers, TV interviewers would be at the pool interviewing the other 900 people that weren't healed. How did it feel 
for Jesus to walk past you and not heal you. This only goes to prove, do I need to change mics? It's, is it acting weird for you? It is for me. Is it an echo? That's, it's an echo for me too. All right, just give me a handheld. Hello, there we go. Hearing myself once is a big enough problem. <laughs> Sometimes I get very tired of hearing me talk and to have to hear twice is just not fun. So, <clears throat> so the TV interviewer would say, or the theologian would say, how did it feel to have Jesus walk past you to heal this man? And the theologians would be coming to a conclusion on the will of God concerning healing, saying, um, this only goes to prove that it's not always God's will to heal the sick. Because so much of our theology is created around what didn't happen. We are people that are oftentimes experientially and theologically shaped by our disappointments. And to sanctify the disappointments, we just call it the sovereignty of God. When God actually invites us into this relational journey to find out why something didn't happen. Because to assume it wasn't his will is not correct. We pray for something, it doesn't happen, we don't know why it wasn't God's will. People make the assumption that if it happened, it was God's will because he's in control of everything. I would like to suggest he could be in control of everything, but I don't believe he is. He's in charge, but not in control. And every parent knows the difference between those two words. <laughs> I'm in charge of my home. I'm not in control of everything that happens in my home. Yes? If he's in control of everything, then we have to credit him with Hitler. And all death, loss, and destruction now can be traced back to God because he willed it so. <clears throat> See, the Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Is anybody perishing? Yes. Is it his will? No. We live at a time where our prayer life, our life of faith, our risk life has an effect on the outcome. I want to be careful to never violate the profound nature of the sovereignty of God because he is God. He chooses to do things. And it's our privilege to observe and to celebrate everything he chooses to do. But part of his sovereign plan is your influence in the outcome of things. And we do that with prayer. We do that through 
following prayer with acts of faith. Four times in three chapters, John 15, excuse me, 14, 15, and 16. Four times in those three chapters, Jesus says, ask for whatever you want, and it'll be done. Interesting, one of the times is in John 16, around verse 20, 21. He says, um, whatever you ask the Father in my name will be done for you, and catch this phrase, that your joy may be full. Fullness of joy is connected to answers to prayer. We were designed to live with abundant, overflowing, extreme joy. That's the way we're designed. We're designed to illustrate, to demonstrate this supreme value of heaven. How valuable is it? Jesus endured the cross because of the joy set before him. Joy was on the other side. That's what enabled him to endure the cross. This priceless commodity called joy is one of the fruits that happens in the soul of an individual who has learned to partner with God, co-labor with God through prayer and to see things happen in the earth. Interestingly, in Proverbs it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But then it says, but desire realized is a tree of life. Fulfilled desires, fulfilled dreams is connected to a tree of life. The tree of life, after Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, an angel guarded the tree of life so they wouldn't eat it. Many theologians think that the reason the angel guarded the tree of life so they wouldn't eat it is because the tree of life made permanent whatever it touched. So it would make their sinful condition permanent. The tree of life marks people with eternal definition and purpose. Which according to Proverbs, desire realized is a tree of life. Whatever you ask for in my name, the Father will do that your joy may be full. There's a design we were designed in certain fashions, in certain ways, and part of that design is our emotional uh, strength and overflow of life is connected to us partnering with God to see certain things happen in the earth. And it's that co-laboring role that he celebrates. He never invites us into a relationship where we develop our self-centeredness or our ego or, you know, that we get to command God in some way or angels or whatever. That's all nonsense. But in this relational journey, the Lord is looking to be impacted by people. I don't know if you've, if you've thought about that. David David had such an impact on the heart of God that the father announced that his son would be called the son of David. How do you, how do you impact God so profoundly that he says, I'm going to call my son after your name? 
How do you impact God like that? The centurion who has such an understanding of, of authority in the kingdom. He moves in such an un, unreasonable measure of faith that Jesus says, man, I've not seen this in the entire nation of Israel. He, he did something to impact the heart of God. Mary takes the ointment, a year's salary was represented in this ointment. She breaks it open, pours it over Jesus. Jesus announces, wherever this gospel is preached, this story will be told. In other words, God says, you, you have impacted me so deeply, I'm going to make sure your name is mentioned when my name is mentioned. Your offering is going to be celebrated for all of eternity. See, it's, it's, it, God makes himself vulnerable in a sense to the, the desires, the dreams, the, the life of his people. I want to challenge you in several things this morning. This is how you do it. If I had a pocket, I'd put it in my pocket. In America, we'd call that a redneck uh, lavalier or something. <clears throat> I'm speaking generally, so this may not fit to you as individuals or churches, but I, sp I will speak generally. <clears throat> we lack a theology of blessing. We identify with lack and give it a spiritual name. We identify with a cross, which is correct, but it leads to a resurrection, and we don't know how to do the resurrection part. In Peter it says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. We love it when people humble themselves under the mighty hand of God, we're not as happy with them when God exalts them in due time. Because we don't have, we don't have a place for that yet. We, we love the passage, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. We love seeing people who truly put seeking the kingdom, his righteousness, as their top priority of life. But we're not always as pleased with them when God adds everything into their life as the reward for their correct priority. Because we don't, we don't really have a place for that. We tend to, probably one of the greatest sins I think that exists in the church is that we actually think we know the motives of another person. see a political leader make a statement, well, he's just trying to, really? Do you, do you actually think God has given you insight into their motives? Why would he? He's not a bad steward. That's not for you. That was for, for them other people that we know. You know people that need to hear this. You have a friend who makes a decision and we're so quick to read into their motives and the Bible says you can't, you can't know your own heart how are you going to know somebody else's and if God were to reveal it I don't think he'd reveal it to somebody who would mock them instead he'd reveal it to someone who would intercede 
So if your bent is to mock or to criticize, then you didn't get it from him. We, the scripture says that we, we are to give in secret. And we love hearing the stories of the people who just live this secret life of radical generosity. They inspire me when I see, when I see this, that they are not doing for self-promotion. They are not doing to be glorified. They live that way intentionally. But the scripture goes on to say that the one who gives in secret will be rewarded in the open. And while I celebrate the person who is generous secretly, not looking for attention, we're not always as happy with that person when God exalts them and rewards them openly. See, here's the problem is oftentimes when we see a blessed Christian, we don't know the backstory and we don't see that this is God's reward. That, that he is openly displaying his blessing on them because he knows the backstory. He knows what they've done in secret. We don't have that part for most of us. We don't have that part yet in our thinking. Especially when we live in judgmental uh, cultures that are looking to, well, it's often called nations all over the world that I travel to, they call it that tall poppy syndrome. Whoever stands out, you just cut that one down. Sameness is not kingdom. Unity is not uniformity. Unity requires diversity. You take a man and a woman, put them together, they are not the same. But the two make one. Unity, biblical unity requires diversity. Jesus makes this statement in Luke 16. He says, he says if, you, if you don't know how to manage or steward correctly another person's possession, who will give you what would actually belong to you? What would, who would give you what will be your own? That's interesting because we don't think in terms of Jesus wanting you to own something. But he actually describes, here's the pathway to personal ownership because that is what he has intended for you. I don't know if that just made sense. It, did, it made great sense to me and I thought it was a great point. Amen, Bill. Good point. When we look at the Christian life, we, we look oftentimes uh, at uh, Israel in the wilderness every day receiving manna on the ground and the cloud in the heat of the day and the fire in the cold of the night. And we see that water coming out of the rock and the continuous provision of the Lord. And that for some reason has been exalted as the high point of the Christian life is the daily provision of the Lord in that nature. And yet that was the school for the promised land. The promised land was actually that you'd go to work and that he'd breathe on our labors 
and there would be supernatural increase because of a partnership with the supernatural and the natural. That was actually the destiny. The destiny was not man on the ground. When Jesus called his disciples, they left everything to follow him. In Mark 10, he's talking to them about these brutal passages. I, I love the scary passages of the Bible. I like the verses that just kind of growl when you look at them. I, I like my hot sauce extremely hot. I like my coffee very strong. My coffee is so strong you can walk on it without faith. And I like the scriptures to growl when I pick them up to read them. I, 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 I don't avoid the hard ones. And so when he says, it's hard for a rich man to make it into the kingdom, I want to read that. I don't want to skim over that one. I want to make sure that that cuts me everywhere it can. Peter, at the end of this dialogue, says, we left everything to follow you. And Jesus responds by saying, that's right. And I will add back into your life a hundred times what you left. I don't know what you're going to do with a hundred moms, but <laughs> metaphorically he was announcing you are now entering into a kingdom where there is unlimited resource. I'm going to add, listen to it, add a hundred times as much back into your life with persecution. I was in a conversation with some friends a few years ago at uh, Morningstar, sitting uh, at a table with uh, Mike Bickle and Rick Joyner and, and Robin McMillan and Bob Weiner and a bunch of guys. And we we're, were just talking about some of the things that uh, we were facing, challenging things. It wasn't a morbid conversation, it was just conversation, just trying to learn from each other. And Bob Weiner says, yeah, I call that income tax. I said, what? What do you mean income tax? He said, yeah, the more income, the more tax. The more favor, the more opposition. If, if you're easily offended, you've just limited your promotion. Because the Lord doesn't want to add anything into our life that would actually break what he's done. Some people know how to pray with passion when they're in pain. But if I only pray with passion, with focus, with intensity, when I'm in pain, I've just defined my life. I must have difficulty to stay true. What we have to learn to do is transition from praying passionately out of pain to praying passionately out of hope. If we can make that transition, then we'll learn a little bit more what it looks like to be a blessing in a way that draws people into the kingdom. I owe God answers to prayer. It's foolish for me to come to the conclusion that he says, ask for what you want. I ask for something that I know is his will. It doesn't happen. And then for me to come to the conclusion, it wasn't God's will. 
Do you remember in Mark 9, the disciples try to cast a demon out of a child? The demon won't leave. Now, these are not inexperienced guys. In all of history up to that point, they were the most trained people in deliverance with the exception of Jesus. They tried everything they had tried before and it didn't work. Jesus came along, cast the demon out. They took Jesus aside and they said, why couldn't we? Here's the difference between the disciples then and us disciples now is that when we confront a problem, and try our best, and it doesn't work, we seldom take Jesus aside. Because we've got this thinking that, well, sovereign, the sovereignty of God, he just chose not to do this particular miracle. See, I owe him becoming the person that he can trust with the answer. That's part of the process. Perseverance in prayer is not to persuade him, it's to change me. Perseverance pushing against something that's immovable. When my, when my dad died, we prayed for six months pushing against this thousand pound rock that didn't budge at all. And you can walk away from that saying, you know, it just didn't work. And not realize that a strength was built in six months that now makes me capable of moving the 500 pound rock that's right next to it that I couldn't have moved six months ago. <clears throat> it's learning to cooperate with this one who has determined that the kingdoms of this world would all belong to him. But he will, I don't believe he will do it through a military takeover. He, he does it through people that walk in radical obedience, seeing his kingdom, his dominion, the realm of his perfect, benevolent, gracious rule coming over broken situations in people's lives. Matthew 12, 28, Jesus said, if I cast a demon out of you by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God came upon you. What we see, Jesus rebukes a demon, it leaves. What he just described, he said, in the unseen realm, the reality of my world came crashing into darkness and darkness had to leave. It was the manifestation of the kingdom. When the kingdom comes, all that is inferior leaves. <clears throat> and we are brokers of that reality. We are brokers through decree. We are brokers through touch. We are brokers through acts of faith. We are brokers through prophetic acts. That's where we do what he tells us to do even though it doesn't make any sense. You have an axe head on the bottom of a stream and you throw a stick in there and the axe head swims. You can throw sticks all day long. You're not going to get an axe head to swim. But when God says do it, it's a prophetic act. The, the miracle is released through the act of obedience. We broker this reality every single day of our life. We either broker it or undermine it. How about we open the Bible? Let's see. All right. You guys all right? <laughs> Why don't you open to Psalm 67? Let's, uh, let's just go there and <clears throat> create a happy ending. 
Psalm 67. The Lord, the Lord invites us into this relational journey where he's, he's not a vending machine that I put in a prayer and pull a button and you get the, the answer. He's, he's invited us into this journey where we dialogue together. And in the journey, I become changed and become capable. <coughs> Sorry. Come out. Or I'm good. No. Sorry. Where we become changed in, in the relationship to where the blessing will not destroy us. Why does God discipline us? He rewards all growth with pruning. So why does he discipline us? So that his blessings don't kill us. He, he refines me so that there's less and less of what I've built in my life because what I've built will crumble under the weight of his glory. What he has built becomes established under the weight of his glory. What part? <laughs> Good morning. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> What I have built in me will crumble under the weight of his glory. What he has built in me becomes established under the weight of his glory. If someone were to have an encounter this morning where <clears throat> we could all see the spirit of God came upon you so profoundly and there was this prophetic word, every case of cancer that you pray for will be healed, we would all celebrate. I'm sure the person that it happened to would celebrate. The problem is within 30 days, your name would be a household name in every nation around the world. And if you could not be bought, you could not be persuaded with money, you still have a problem. At the airport will be dozens of private jets with suitcases filled with cash, hoping they can persuade you to come to their home to pray for their dying loved one. And let's say you can't be bought you still have a problem because every time you say yes to one, you've said no to a hundred others. The media is looking through your trash, talking to people you went to school with, find any kind of dirt against you in any way. The pressure of that kind of a lifestyle is crazy, and yet it's the will of God. But the, the Lord doesn't put it on somebody who is not seasoned. He wants to make sure that the weightiness of that glory rests squarely on what he has built and not what we've built. <clears throat> what I've built in me, even though it may look like what Jesus would build, it becomes evident under the weight of pressure. <clears throat> All right, I promised a happy ending, and I, I, by the look of your faces, I'm not doing very well. <clears throat> we're we're going to read two verses, and let me see if, if I can improve this. <clears throat> Verse 67, I believe, is a very strong prophetic word for the church right now. Verse 1, we'll read 1 and 2. God be merciful to us and bless us. Cause his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth and your salvation among the nations. Look at it again. God be merciful to us and bless us. First notice, it's a prayer for blessing. 
Whoever told you it's wrong to seek the blessing of the Lord, they're wrong. God be, I was going to say something else, but I thought I'd be nice because I've got to make this a happy ending. God be merciful to us and bless us. Cause his face to shine on us that your way would be known in the earth and your salvation among the nations. I tell our, this is what I tell our folks at Bethel. I said, listen, if you're not hungry for more, if you are not desiring to be increased in anointing, in finances, in favor, in authority, if all these areas, if you're not pursuing more, then you're being selfish. Why? Because you can be exposed to world need and you think your inability to step into a situation and change it, you're okay with that. We've become accustomed to not having enough, not being able to do enough, and call that the disciplined Christian life. We just call it discipleship. (laughs) I did promise a happy ending. You're scowling at me. Okay, come on, Bill. You can do this. You know, I'm going to talk later. I'll I'll make up for it then. I'll tell you. So look at this. He says, God, cause your face to shine on us. What is that picture? It's a picture of a mom or a dad looking at an infant. It's the shining face of favor that we've been told the countenance of delight in a parent is actually what trains the child in joy. Which tells me why there are so few happy Christians. Because they've not seen the shining face of a father who approves. So he prays this prayer, bless us, cause your face to shine upon us. But listen to this phrase, that your way would be known on earth. Now, listen to this. God, if you don't bless me in a way that is recognizable by other people, they'll not know what you're like. What was missing as a primary revelation in the entire Old Testament, it was that God was a father. Jesus came, his primary mission was to reveal the father. His death, his resurrection, all that revealed the father. His teaching, his miracles, all revealed the father. The number one reason why he came was to reveal the father. It was the missing ingredient. The Old Testament wasn't supposed to do that. The Old Testament was to reveal Uh, the severity of sin, the absolute lost condition of humanity, and the only possible solution was Jesus, the Son of God, dying in our place. That's the mission of the Old Testament. The new was to reveal the Father. And so here we have this Old Testament prayer that is to bring us into this journey where we partner with the Lord in such a way that we pursue his blessing on our life. Now, I realize it can be done wrong, but anything that's significant can be done wrong. I don't know how it works in your country, but we don't have people who counterfeit $1 bills. It's just not worth the effort. Nobody counterfeits pennies. We just busted a counterfeit ring. We found 1 million pennies in their garage. It's just not not worth the work. If they're going to counterfeit something, they're going to counterfeit in our world. It's a $100 bill. That's what gets counterfeited. Why? Because you only counterfeit something of value. So when the enemy works hard to counterfeit something, it tells me it is valuable. (laughs) 
people announced to me, oh, that's a, that's a dangerous thing. Yeah, but it's in the Bible. Yeah, but it's caused so many problems. Well, let's stay humble, let's stay accountable, and let's go after it. If the enemy works that hard to counterfeit it, then it must, he's just giving the seal of approval. This is important. Amen, Bill. That's a very good point. All right. So here it is. Father, bless me. Cause your face to shine upon me that your way would be known in the earth. David prayed it this way. Psalms 119, verse 17. He said, deal with your servant bountifully that I may live and keep your word. Think through this. Deal with me bountifully. Why? That I can live and keep your word. In other words, if I'm going to fulfill all you've called me to do, I'm going to have to have access to unlimited resource. And we're not talking about mansions on the hill. We're talking about having access to everything that God has for the impact of humanity around us. So the disciples leave everything to follow Jesus. Jesus says, I'll add a hundred times as much back into your life. And then before he dies, he tells his, his uh, disciples, uh, if you have two coats, sell one, get a sword. <laughs> that's, that's one of the strangest instructions. Peter was happy to get one. <laughs> I've been wanting a sword my whole life. Now I've got one. You know, the, the soldiers come into the garden to take Jesus away. Peter, you know, whacks the guy's ear off. Jesus looks at him, come on. Puts it back on. Put the sword away. Why, why, would, why would Jesus have the disciples get a sword that they cannot use? It reminds me of when Moses had his staff and the Lord says, throw it down and it turns into a snake. A snake that can kill you. And then God says, pick it up by the tail. Who is this really? <laughs> what is that rod? It represents everything you have access to in God. And God says, pick it up by the tail. Why? Because if you don't hold it my way, it'll always be able to bite you. Everything we have access to in the kingdom must be held according to his command. The answer is not to be without a rod. The answer is not to forget the sword. The answer is hold it his way then everything that's put into your life becomes a part of the resource that's to shape the course of history. This verse. Father, bless us, cause your face to shine on us, that your way would be known in the earth, and here's the clincher, and your salvation to the nations. I don't say this in, in any kind of accusational way, but let's be honest. How many times have we heard that the blessing of the Lord upon the people of God is an evangelistic tool and we owe people a blessed life? Otherwise, they cannot read the epistle of our life and come to the conclusion he's a good father. 
if I come to you in nice clothing and you see my wife in rags, I, I don't mean the kind that you pay extra money for. <laughs> my illustration doesn't work very well anymore. You know, people pay extra for holes. I sit next to my granddaughters in church. I go, you know, I know your parents are lacking money, but if you ever want the rest of those jeans, I can help you out. <laughs> if I come taken care of and my family has not eaten, they're not well fed, they're not well clothed, then you have reason to question my integrity. And oftentimes we live in a less than ideal life. And that's how we reflect his nature. And he says that your way would be known on earth and your salvation to nations. Let's stand. I sometimes get in trouble holding both of these because I've tried to drink out of my mic. <laughs> Put a hand on the shoulder of someone next to you and just say, help them, Jesus. In fact, why don't you do this? Don't even pray for them. Just look at them and say, I want you to be blessed and I promise I will not be jealous. Mm -hmm.